Happy Sabbath, church. Well, I'm trying to remember if we've been out for about four or five months or four or five years. Some of these kids have grown. I, I was kind of getting them mixed up with their older siblings. So, uh, but it's good. It's good to have more coming back. And the last time I was here, there was very few, and more and more are coming back. So, uh, we do want to encourage each member to prayerfully consider what is best for them and their families as far as coming back or staying home. Uh, I, I just want, we, uh, the most important thing is that we're worshiping God on Sabbath. Amen. Uh, but it's really nice when we can be here together. Amen. Isn't it just a joy? So I'm so glad to see uh, you all here today. We are going to be in Luke, cha- I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And verse 33 is what we're going to look at. We'll also be in Philippians and here and there. So, John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God in heaven today, we worship you and we acknowledge that you are our creator and our redeemer. And we come today, Lord, we ask for a blessing from heaven. Please, as we get into the word today, as we look at Jesus' words to his disciples, uh, 2,000 years ago, and what it means for us today, please guide us with your Holy Spirit. May these be your words and not mine. And I ask that you administer to each heart here with your Holy Spirit. May Jesus be lifted up and your words spoken and believed in. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Only months after arriving in Japan, after having this almost honeymoon-like experience with being in this new country, these beautiful new sights and sounds, this rich culture, and really I just had, I felt like I was on vacation for about the first two and a half to three months. Uh, Even though I was working hard, I got to see uh, a lot of beautiful sights and sounds. As a matter of fact, their longest holiday took place shortly after I got there. It's called Golden Week. It's like five days off. Uh, and it's similar to our, you know, Christmas or something like that, holiday. So it was just really great. But by the time, I, I went around August or so, by the time December and January came, a lot of things had changed. <clears throat> the reality set in, as it does with uh, relationships, you know, the, the honeymoon phase fades away. I realized that I don't understand anything about what's going on around me because I can't really speak the language. I cannot read. And there was a lady that I worked with that quit. We were teaching together. She would teach some classes. I would teach others. And she quit uh, a few months after I arrived in Japan. So I did take on all of her classes. Well, some of you might know that the Japanese are very hardworking people. Okay? I mean, culturally, it's, it's almost robotic. Okay? And they expect you to do the same thing. 
So, you know, 10-hour days, 12-hour days was not unusual. So uh, all of this started hitting me, and then I started missing my family and my friends and my culture. And I, and I, and I really, it's, it really broke me down those first, you know, six to nine months that I was a missionary. And so it got to the point where I, I felt like I just wanted to go home. I had so much stress. I was actually getting this little, um, uh, like, I don't want to call it a pimple or a, a bump or some assist on the side of my face. I actually still have a tiny little scar on the side of my face where it was almost kind of like a breakout. You know, the stress was, was great. And so I was experiencing Japanese culture, you know, because they work hard. They get stressed, too. And so I thought, I'm just going home. You know, this, this, there's a lot here at once. You know, it'd be one thing if I just had to work hard. But now I'm, I'm missing, I can't understand what's going on. I can't figure it out quick enough. I'm missing everything I know and love. All my family and friends are back home. So doing missionary work is difficult. I got online. I looked at a one-way ticket back home. It was about $700 or so. And at the time, I didn't have the $700, but I had a credit card. So I was thinking about it. And so I just had to go to my room, and I prayed. This was one night. It was very late at night. And I, and I kneeled down, and I, I put my face on the ground, and I prayed. And I could feel, in a, in a sense, you know, I wanted to, uh, I really wanted God to guide me and lead me. And I just needed God's comfort and peace at that time. And so as I prayed, I, I sensed that Jesus Christ was in the room with me. As I prayed and I poured my heart out to God, all that was on my heart, all, I was just as honest to him as I could be, because he knows it all anyway. And I told him, you know, about what was going on at work and what was going on, I, I, how I can't figure these things out, and I want to go home and I miss this and I miss that. And, and I was not expecting it to be this way. You know, I was really just pouring my heart out to God. And, and I was asking God for his grace. I was asking God for courage. And I was asking God to be with me and to, to guide me and lead me what I should do. And it felt as if I would have reached out, I would have touched Jesus. That's how close I felt his presence was. He was with me in that place. And I knew at that I was where I was supposed to be. And I had this peace that came over me. And the grace of God rested upon me. And I knew as difficult as things could be, as challenging as it could be for this young man, God was going to be with me. It didn't mean things were going to change on the outside. I still worked like a slave till I left that place. <laughs> the lady never came back who quit. Uh, my proficiency in Japanese was certainly not perfect. You know, there were lots of challenges but Jesus was present with me, and he gave me his peace. And that allowed me to endure the next year and a half that I was there. And so God taught me a very, very important lesson. And that is when we're doing God's will, when we're following God, when we're, we're being the Christians he's called us to be, it is no easy path, is it? But God didn't promise that. God's promise was that you will have tribulation, but 
Don't be afraid. Don't worry. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is telling his disciples these things in verse 33. And he wants to remind them that if they remain in him, excuse me, if they remain in him, no matter what happens and what comes, that in their heart they will have peace. So if you read chapter 16, Jesus is talking uh, about a lot of things. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about what the disciples will, will be doing uh, as, they, as they fulfill their gospel commission. And he also talks about the persecution that is to come. And so he's trying to help the disciples understand what's going on, even though they don't. Their concept of why the Messiah came was skewed. And so he's trying to re-educate them about why he came and about why they are going to go out now. And then he talks about, indirectly, he talks about his crucifixion and resurrection. He says, I will go away and I will come back to you. And they didn't understand what he was saying. What is he talking about? And that's what they say in the previous verses. And so then he talks about, well, he's going to go to his father and he's going to come back. And he starts speaking in language that's a little bit more clear and plain to them. And in verse 29, his disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Verse 30, Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. But this, by this we believe that you came forth from God. And then Jesus answered, Do you believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So they said, okay, we understand what you're saying, and so now we believe you. We believe that nobody should question you. And Jesus says, oh, really? Oh, really? Persecution was coming upon the disciples that they were not expecting. Something was going to happen to them that was going to rock them at the core of who they were being, of of their being. Their faith would be tested like it had never been tested before. And so Jesus is trying to prepare them for this faith-shaking experience that is literally moments away. As, as the, they came to take Jesus and arrest him, and then late the next day he would be crucified, and their faith would be shaken to the core. Jesus knew it was coming, but the disciples did not. And so he's telling them, you're going to have tribulation, and this is going to be a pattern of what you're going to experience if you're going to follow me. If you're going to serve me, if you're going to be an apostle for me, you have to know, it's, it's almost, I don't want to call it a promise, but it's a guarantee and a surety. You're going to face tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus brings this to their attention. They're still kind of confused. They're trying to figure it out. But Jesus is trying to, to help them to understand that it's not the tribulation that he wants them to focus on. It's the peace that Jesus gives in the midst of it. Now, this word for uh, tribulation, it's used, uh, the original word is the word thlipsis. 
okay, in the, in the original language. Try to say that three times fast. Philipsis, okay. It's used of a narrow place that hems someone in. It's tribulation, especially internal pressure, that causes someone to feel confined or restricted without options. It has the idea of compression. It carries the challenge of coping with internal pressure of tribulation especially when feeling there is no way of escape. So these trials and these tribulations that Jesus is talking about are things that cause us stress within, deep within the human soul, deep within the human heart. Now, of course, in this context, he's talking about the persecution that's coming. And, and in the book of Acts, as you read, that is the great pressure upon the church. It's the trial and the tribulation of persecution from the local leadership, from the government, uh, even from their own families as people become Christians and they're being thrown out. But I think in a, an understanding of the tribulation that Jesus is talking about here and, and the word that he uses is that in reality, living in this world and living for Jesus Anything, anything that causes internal pressure and stress upon the human heart can be considered tribulation. It's the things that, that we experience in life where we feel so much stress and anxiety, you know, again, it just rocks us to the core. We want, we want a way of escape and we feel like there is none. So Jesus is really focusing on that internal pressure and that internal stress that the disciples are going to feel because that is the most difficult thing to deal with you know i should say here that uh, our knee-jerk reaction when tribulation and stress comes is either to fight or flight right you see when they actually came to take jesus away in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Peter do? He pulled out his sword and he went for a servant's head, you know. And he, thank God he missed. He hit the ear. And so Jesus said, hey, put that away. This is not a time to fight. You know, I could call down 12,000 angels and they would fight for me. You know, they, they just kicked these guys right off the face of the planet with no problem. And so when fighting back was an option, when, when, when wrestling with the aggressor was an option, Peter and the disciples were game. Somebody else was probably also fixing to pull out their sword as well, too. I think it's in the book of Luke where uh, Jesus is talking about the persecution coming. And then they say, Lord, there's two swords here. And he says, it is enough. That's all he says. It is enough. It's in Luke or John. So somebody else had a sword. You know, they're probably ready to fight. I mean, they hadn't run away yet. And so they were like, okay, let's do, we're going to fight. But when Jesus called them to suffer humiliation, when, when Jesus called them to suffer injustice, when Jesus called them to suffer persecution, 
Then they fled and they ran away. Because it's one thing to fight back, but it's another thing to suffer as Christ suffered. And so he's, he's trying to give his disciples encouragement. This is what it really means to follow me. Okay? I don't want you I don't want you men to think that whenever persecution comes it's time to pull out your sword and fight. These are not the principles of the kingdom of heaven. No, Jesus took his suffering patiently because he knew what his mission was. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what God had called him to do and that was his focus in life. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, if you remain in me, and you keep your eye on the prize, so to speak, and you're focused on what what I've called you to do, and no matter what happens in your life, if you are in me, you will have peace. So Jesus is talking about this internal struggle. He's telling them there's there's something different that you're going to experience than what you think suffering and persecution is all about. But don't forget, I suffered the same thing. So it is a true mark of a Christian that when he or she is experiencing trial and tribulation on the outside, that that person has the peace of Jesus on the inside. That's that's one of the true marks of a Christian. No matter what's going on around them, they have the peace of God on the inside. When difficulty and uncertainty comes, that person has confidence in Christ. Not in themselves, but in Christ. You know, Paul talks about this very clearly in Philippians chapter 4. Many, we're all familiar with Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And Paul says here, Philippians 4, chapter 10, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you care for me, your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He's talking about, you know, giving. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be what? Content. Content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to... To abound everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. You know, that's not a self help Bible verse, by the way. You know, I hear it used that way sometimes. You know, I, I can do anything that I want to do if Christ is with me. No, that's, that's not. I don't think Paul wanted to be abased. You know, I don't think he wanted to be kicked down and, and, and beat down uh, as an apostle. So he's talking about this, this service to God. He's talking about in his journey and service to God, these, these pressures are coming upon him. But he has confidence in Christ. Now, if you read the New Testament, there is a theme that we see in Scripture, in the writings of Paul particularly. And that is the importance of being in Christ. 
being connected to Jesus and attached to him. You can read it a lot in the book of Romans. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And in this passage, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. In, in John chapter 16, verse 33, our text for today, in me you will have peace. So that tells us that there is a condition to having the peace of Jesus. There's a condition to it. We cannot get the peace of Jesus by simply saying that we are Christians. We cannot get the peace of Jesus by just hearing a sermon about the peace of Jesus. We have to actually be in Christ, right? I hear sermons sometimes. We have a a gym where we live, um, and I go down there to walk and and exercise and do other things and turn on the, they don't, sometimes 3ABN comes on, but they don't really have it. So I'll listen to these other, you know, uh, stations of preachers and, and religious stations and testimonies. And I hear often about you know, some of the prosperity gospel preachers, you know, and I'm not trying and I'm not here to kick anybody around, but I hear a lot about, you know, how God wants to bless and God wants to give you peace and, and do these other things. And then, and then they just stop there. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so, so how, how do we have this peace of Jesus? Well, first of all, this condition is that they were willing to follow Jesus no matter what, right? Eventually, ultimately, the disciples, with the exception of one, Judas, they were willing to follow Jesus no matter what. Peter, traditionally, we believe he lost his life. We know that James was slain by the sword. John was thrown into um, hot oil, but God miraculously saved him. Then he was thrown on to the Isle of Patmos. So they had this conviction to follow Jesus no matter what the consequences were. Now, God doesn't call us all to a literal physical death at the hands of, of, of the government. Well, he might call some of us to do that, but not all of us. But the condition is that we cannot just live however we want to live and then expect the peace of Jesus. We cannot go in some direction that God is not calling us to go in or or do what we want to do and then we just expect the peace of Jesus. We have to be closely connected to following, trusting, obeying Jesus Christ. We have to have that close connection with Jesus. So there is a condition to having the peace of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about absolute perfection here. I'm talking about living and walking with Jesus by faith and obeying the will of God, the clear word of God that is given to us in Scripture. Amen? Amen. There's, there's, you know, it's, it's in black and white and in red here in Scripture what God's will is. How can we have the peace of Jesus if we're not connected? Now, some, some time ago, maybe you all heard about this documentary that came out um, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead by Joe Cross. It was really popular when it came out, you know. So <laughs> we watched it probably a couple times, right? Somehow we watched it a few times. And so at the end of that documentary, there's a guy, he's, he's really, in, in, he, he's, his story is throughout the documentary, but at the end of the documentary, they focus on a guy named Phil. Phil Staples was his name. <laughs> This guy was sick, 
You know, he has all, all kinds of pills. He was a truck driver. Uh, he was a big guy, and, and he, um, you know, he, he had heart problems. He had these skin problems, and, and he, he really needed to lose some weight. I mean, he was a big guy, you know. And at the end of the documentary, the first one, he gets into shape. He takes Joe's cross, Joe Cross's challenge uh, for a, what is it, like a 30-day or 60-day uh, um, drinking juice. I can't remember how many days it is, but nothing but plant juice, okay? It's a juicing fast. Um, and at the end of this juicing fast, just nothing but juice, okay? At the end of this juicing fast, he lost the equivalent of six bowling balls worth of weight, Okay, and so he's doing this demonstration at some health store or something like that, and he became very popular. And he was telling everybody, "Look, this is this is how much weight I've lost—six bowling balls worth of weight." And he's off of his medications and all this other stuff. And so it was a really great way to end the documentary, you know. And Joe is encouraging him all the way, you know. Joe's continuing his journey across the U.S., but he's encouraging him the whole time. And you can see, you know, this friendship builds. And then they come out with Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead 2. And so people are wondering, what happened to Phil Staples? And so when they find Phil, he's back to his old weight. He's on the couch. And he's just taking this huge step back. I'm like, okay. So So early on in the documentary, they try and figure out, well, what happened to Phil? And they have this guy on there. He's some uh, health specialist slash, you know, counselor or whatever. And so he sits down with Phil and he's like, so, so what happened? You're doing so great. And, and so the guy basically says that Phil was connected to this community of people, you know, who were encouraging him along the way. And he would hang out with them. They did these presentations on, on good living and health and all these other things. And not only that, but he fell out of contact with Joe Cross, who was like his kind of his mentor. And so because he was not connected to this community, and because he lost connection with Joe, he basically just went back to his old habits in life. And, and he backslid, and, and that's what happened to him. Now, I think... Now I think he's gotten back on track or whatever. But you see how important it is to stay connected to the source. If we are not connected to Jesus Christ, simple things, Bible study, prayer, you know, worship, these kind of things, if we're not connected to Jesus in many other ways, then the same thing happens to us. And we can get anxious we can get fidgety. We can, we can get frustrated. And when tribulation and trial comes, if we're not connected to the source, then we can fall apart altogether. So, so the point is, we have to get reconnected to Jesus. We have to get reconnected to the source. And so Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me, in me, you will have peace. So God has this amazing way, God has this amazing way to change and transform our tribulation and our sorrows and our difficulties into a blessing. Amen? 
God has an amazing way to transform all those things and to, to bring something out of it that we would have never expected and to rescue us from those tight places where we feel there is no escape, where there, there is no way to get out of this situation. You know, as I said before, naturally, what our instinct is when trial and tribulation and difficulty comes is to either fight or flight. A lot of the times when we, just like the disciples, we have a tendency to run away. We do, we have a tendency to run away. And by that I don't mean physically running away. We can run away inside, you know. We can, we can shut down as people. We can shut down in our relationships. We, can, we do a lot of other things where we're just, we're trying to avoid these certain things in our life or, or not deal with it or not, or, or not approach it. But you know, God in his nature, he is not one to run. God is one who, by nature, is drawn to the storm. Not because God likes storms or conflict, but because of those who are in the storm. By nature, God will go right into the eye of the storm if that's what it takes to rescue someone he loves who is in tribulation. And we forget that sometimes, don't we? God is, he goes right into the middle of the storm, eye of the storm, if that's what it takes. And Jesus showed that ultimately by his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's God's nature. That's what he does. God has no fear. God, God sees everything. God is not surprised by anything that happens. And he's trying to help the disciples understand that. They were totally shocked and surprised. But not Jesus. Not at all. So he, he has a way of going into the storm and changing it, calming that storm. I want to, to close with this story uh, about a man named George. It's a true story. And it's about a man, he calls himself George. That's not his, his name when he was born. He's an older gentleman that lives in France, but he's Cambodian. He was born and raised in Cambodia. And at the time that there was a great turmoil in Cambodia and there, uh, Khmer Rouge was coming in and, and there was lots of death and, and communism was taking over, uh, that this young, this boy, this Cambodian boy, George, he remembers as a child when this transformation happened in his country. And he remembers the death and the carnage. He remembers good memories of being a child in his his mother uh, talking to the neighbors, and, and he, he enjoyed life until the change came over their nation. And there was a day that came when George, he was a small boy, and the soldiers came into their village. And he said he can remember the smell of the soldiers when they came into the village and they came into the home. They smelled like blood. There was so much death. There was so much carnage. And so people began to run away. They were fleeing this, this uh, persecuting uh, government. And so George and his family, they ran, and they were going, they knew that they had to go towards Thailand for a refugee camp. And somehow George and, and his sister, they got separated from their parents. And so George and his sister, in the story he calls her Sylvia, and they, so they make their way, making their way down to Thailand, and they join some other Cambodians who are on their way there. 
And the sister Sylvia, she has an accident where she's riding on an ox cart. She falls off the ox cart. They don't know that she's fallen, and they run her leg over, and they break it. So now this little girl, you know, she's in pain, searing pain, and uh, George, he's there with his sister, and they make it all the way down to Thailand. They, they, wind, they find a way, they put her back on the ox cart, they get her down to Thailand. There they, once they cross the border, they find a refugee camp, and they're looking for uh, a hospital. And so there were some missionaries there who set up a, a makeshift hospital. And so they take the little girl and the boy into this, uh, this uh, makeshift hospital, and they start operating on the little girl. And it's a difficult process for her healing. They're there for quite a number of months, George and Sylvia. They're two small children. They're now they're orphans. And George remembers that he was just so afraid. He would hide under his sister's bed. But he remembers the doctor and the nurse who were there. And this doctor would come in and he would give George and Sylvia a little piece of candy and they loved it so much. And they were so kind to them. They would feed them and, and they would uh, minister to them and they would nurture them. And towards the end of their stay there, there was, uh, there was a time when the doctor came in and he got down on his knees and he gave little George a big hug. And he said, that hug made me feel so valuable, and it changed my life. And then the doctor pulled out of his pocket a little red fire truck, a little toy, a little red fire truck toy, and he gave it to George. And he was ecstatic. His, his mind was off of everything else that had gone on around him. He was so excited to get this little red toy. It just it changed his whole focus. He now he had something to play with and and he remembered the good memories of when he was home. And so George took that little red fire truck and he kept it for the rest of his life. George and his sister Sylvia, they made their way over to France. They knew that's where they had to go. So eventually they were able to make their way over to France where other refugees had gone. And they grew up, they, uh, you know, they had their lives and their families. And so now George is a taxi driver. He was a taxi driver. And he used to take people's, you know, luggage into his car. And he used to drive them from the airport to these really nice hotels. And he was a, he was a good taxi driver, you know. He dressed well. He spoke the best English and French that he could. And so one day as he was picking up a family that came out of the hospital, uh, out of the uh, uh, airport, that he loaded up all their luggage, and they noticed George was Asian, and they noticed his accent, and they asked him, are you Cambodian? He says, yes, yes, I, I am from Cambodia. And they asked, they recognized by his age, were you there during this time of this, this persecution? They said, yeah, yeah, I was there. And so there was just something very familiar about this man, and so the woman, an older woman, who was a nurse, she was there with her two grown children. She said, did you ever know this man? And she pulled out a picture of her husband. And he took the picture, he saw the picture, and his heart began beating as if he was getting pulled over by the police. He had to pull over to the side of the road. He was so overwhelmed. And he looked at the picture. It's a true story. And it was a picture of her husband. It was the same doctor 
who had given him the little red fire truck so many years before. And then he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the red fire truck. He says, I carry this fire truck everywhere I go. When I feel overwhelmed, I feel stressed. When, when, when these times come, I reach into my pocket and I feel the red fire truck. And he says, I know your husband. Your husband, he gave me hope. And I never forgot him. I never forgotten him for that. And so he, would, he was just overwhelmed. He could not believe that it was his wife. He was dead now. He's older now. He's passed away. But he always kept that little red fire truck right next to him because it always gave him hope. Isn't that amazing? You know, Jesus wants to give us something today, and it's called the peace of Christ. If we have Jesus right next to us, we will never be without peace. Now, times of trial and and tribulation and stress, they do come. That's natural. That's part of being human. But when we draw near to Jesus, or we allow him to draw near to us, God gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's my hope and my prayer today that whatever your circumstances are today or will be tomorrow, that you know that peace. May God bless you and happy Sabbath. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your promises today. Uh, This promise that you give to us of peace and of hope. God in heaven today, help us to remain in Christ always and forever. And we ask and pray, use us, Lord, to share this peace and this hope with others. May your blessing be upon each one this Sabbath day. Uh, We ask and pray and help us, Lord, to continue drawing near to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.